possible. Uh, there's been great communication. A schedule was sent out, and I looked at that schedule a little while ago, and it calls for a potluck beginning at 12 o'clock. It is 10 till 12 right now. I have heard myself preach for about 40 years, and the possibility of this happening falls into the category of it ain't going to happen. Okay, It would take a miracle for me to, to do that, and I, I'd just soon say the miracle for um, curing cancer and things like that. So, so just get comfortable, okay? Uh, the food will still be there, uh, but I, I, I want to share with you, I want to combine the missions that, that we're here uh, to focus on, but I really appreciate this, this illustration here, this example, because the church is so important, and so I want to have a message that talks about both and how they work together. So the first part of this is going to be about the church, and I don't want you to think what he forgot. It's a, a mission, faith promise. Uh, it, it, it's coming. But I grew up in the church. I, I was in a family that the rule at our home was if the church doors were open, we're there. It was a little country church. If we had 80 people, it was probably Easter Sunday. It, it, just, it wasn't a real big church, but we, we're there all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday school, church. Sunday night, youth group, church. Uh, we were there all the time. It was such a part of my life that there were even times when my friends and I would get together. I, I grew up out in the country, and uh, other than working, there wasn't a whole lot to do, and so we would play church. Any of you ever played church? Yeah. Uh, we would get together, and, and we would take turns uh, giving a lesson or a sermon. Uh, we would sing the old hymns. I, I always like to take the offering, you know, that... <laughs> Some people say there were early indicators I was going to be a pastor someday. Uh, back behind our, our back pasture, we had a creek that ran through. That's what we call it in central Illinois. I don't know what it's called up here. I was in Chicago, and I said something about a creek, and they looked at me like, a what? And I said, uh, a creek. They still didn't really know, I don't think. But, but there's a creek behind our house, and we'd be back there doing this play church, and sometimes we'd baptize people. And... Sometimes we baptize people who didn't want to be baptized, and it wasn't always, wasn't always a spiritual experience. And then when I was 17, I graduated from high school, and I went to Lincoln Christian College back then. In my sophomore year, I became a weekend youth minister in Plano, Illinois, and uh, I've been in ministry now for 40 years. It, it was 40 years this past February. I've served in four different churches, and then for the last six and a half years, I've been the director of church ministries at Lincoln Christian University, which means I get to preach somewhere almost every weekend, and I get called in to consult with, um, to, to work with church leaders, churches that are having problems on a regular basis. And here's what I've learned in 40 years of ministry. Kids are not the only ones who know how to play church. Are you tracking with me? Adults know how to play church. Sometimes entire congregations know how to play church. In fact, I'm convinced that today, across our country, there will be buildings like this with people who will come in, and they'll know when to stand up and when to sit down. They'll, they'll pray the prayers, they'll sing the songs, they'll have communion, they'll take an offering, they'll have a message, and then they'll leave, and nothing changes. Nothing changes within them, and nothing changes in the community because of them. They just play church. But God has not called us to play church. 
God has called us to be the church. God has called us to be the body of Christ. So I want us to, to walk through a passage. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, starting with verse 1. I've called this message a, a photo album of a faithful church, a, a faithful church, a healthy church. This is what a, a church that is faithful would look like. And, and if you had a photo album and you look through that photo album, it, it reminds you of different periods of time. And, and I, I want to suggest there are five pictures that we see in this passage in Colossians 1 that gives a picture of what a healthy church looks like. Starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Let's just stop right there. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ. In section 1 of this photo album, we would see pictures and we would hear stories of a church filled with holy people. That, that word holy means different. It means set apart. It means unique. We're not to be like everybody else. There should be a difference. When I was a kid growing up in that little country church, our, our preacher used to have this five-finger exercise. And, and I, I, I know he didn't do it every Sunday, but as a kid it felt like he did it every Sunday. He would say, Christians don't smoke, drink, cuss, chew, or go with girls who do. That, that was the five-finger exercise. And, and as a kid, I grew up thinking those were five of the Ten Commandments. And I grew up thinking, if I can avoid what we called the big five, maybe I'd go to heaven someday. If I could avoid the big five, maybe I would be holy. But the problem with that is being holy isn't simply avoiding the big five. Being holy isn't avoiding doing bad things. Being holy isn't what we do. Being holy is who we are. Being holy is who we are on the inside. And there are a lot of really good people. And, and I'm afraid in churches, we, we try really hard just to be good people. But there are a lot of good people in the world today who don't know Jesus. We haven't been called to be good. Jesus didn't die so that we could be good people or better people. Jesus died so we could be holy people. So that we could belong to God. And that's what sets the church apart from a Lions Club or a Rotary Club. Or a country club. It's about our faith and our commitment to Jesus. Again, I'm in a different church almost every week. And I consult with churches that are having problems. And, and all too often what, what I see as I travel around is, is too many churches have kind of morphed into being this high moral country club. Where membership has its privileges. And most of the programs... If you look at the calendar, most of the programs have to do with what the members like and very little to do with reaching lost people and helping them grow up in their faith. But we haven't been called to be a country club. We've been called to be the body of Christ. We've been called to make a difference. We've been called to love the people that Jesus loved and reach out to the people that Jesus reached out to. And constantly be spreading the good news of God's grace. And if we're going to be that kind of church, we have to be a church that's filled with holy people. Paul goes on. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Let's stop right there. He says, we've heard of your faith. In section 2, we would see pictures and hear stories of a church filled with people who have a passion of faith. I would hope that if the Apostle Paul were to write a letter 
to the church here at Countryside today, at some point in that letter, he would say, I've heard of your faith. Wouldn't that be a good thing to have in that letter someplace? But again, I'm out a lot. I meet with a lot of churches, and I hear about church programs and church budgets and church buildings and, and, and church problems and all kinds of things, but very rarely do I hear of a church's faith. If we're going to be a healthy and faithful church, we, we need to be a church filled with people who have a passionate faith. Several years ago, I, I was at a conference, and one of our alum, a friend of mine, Gene Apple, had uh, gone out, and he, he took a church in Las Vegas. They were running about 400, and when he, when he went out there, he was in his mid-20s, and it grew up to thousands. And then they planted another church, a, a daughter church, thousands, another one, thousands. And, and he said he was at a conference, and he was doing a workshop on the, the growth at, at, at Central in Vegas. And a guy raised his hand during the Q&A time, and he said, Gene, to what do you attribute the, the dynamic growth of the church there in Vegas? And without missing a beat, Gene said, the hand of God. The hand of God has been upon us. And he said, without missing a beat, the guy's hand went up again. He said, other than the hand of God, what are you doing? <laughs> other than the hand of God? Folks, is there anything more important than the hand of God on a church or on our lives? I, I believe that when church leaders get together, we need to talk, we need to pray about vision and strategy and how we meet people's needs. But here's what I would suggest. We need to spend more time as we gather together as church leaders seeking the hand of God to be upon us. And in our individual lives, we can get together in church at, at Sunday school in small groups and we can talk about our problems and our schedules and our finances and our jobs and our vacations and everything. But how often do we talk about the hand of God on our lives? I just want to encourage you to refuse to settle, refuse to get comfortable. We need to be passionate about our faith. I, I would hope that every... Every Sunday here at Countryside, there would be visitors, guests who are here for the very first time. And, and if that happens, please know they won't understand everything. They, they won't know everything that you do here. They, they won't know all the songs. They, they won't know why you stand when you stand and why you sit when you sit. And so many things they, they won't understand. But here's one thing they do need to understand. When they walk out those doors, they need to understand that these people are excited about something. Because if they see that you're excited about something, they'll come back to try to figure out what you're excited about. But if they come in and all they see is people going through the motions and basically playing church, why on earth would they ever want to come back? They can get that anywhere. So a faithful church has to be filled with people who are passionate about their faith. Paul goes on, he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The love you have for all the saints. In section 3, we would see pictures and we would hear stories of a church filled with people who love other people. It's not really rocket science, is it? We love God and we love people. And one of the characteristics of the, the a faithful church, a, a healthy church, would be unity. That God's people love each other. And So when I picture the, the church, the, the word picture I have is, is that we're standing like this, and we're going to welcome people who come. And then when they come, we're like this. And our arms are around them. 
loving them with the love of Jesus. But here's my question for you today. Do you think that's the picture that the world has of the church today? When the world thinks of the church today, do you think they see us like this? Or do you think they see us like this? That we are ready to fight anyone out there who doesn't believe the way we believe or or live the way we live. And sadly, we're ready to fight anyone in here who doesn't agree with everything we like or everything we want to do either. But if we're going to be a faithful church, if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to love people. I, uh, I, I preached in Havana, Illinois, which is on the Illinois River, uh, down in central Illinois. And I was there seven and a half years. And, and it's a typical uh, little river town. We love living there. But it probably had more bars and taverns per capita than any place I'd ever lived. It had a lot of churches, and it had coffee shops and restaurants. Do you know what the topic of conversation was on Monday morning at those coffee shops and restaurants? They talked about who was mad at who at what church and what church was in the middle of a new fight. And everyone in town knew it. So here's my question. Why on earth would anyone out there want to be in here if they knew that they would be treated better at the bar on Friday night than the church on Sunday morning. Friends, that's not just a shame. That's sin. That's sin. We've been called to love people. In the last six and a half years, when I go out and I see churches that aren't doing very good and they're, they're not loving each other, it boggles my mind how someone who claims to know and love and follow Jesus has a hard time loving someone else who claims to know and love and follow Jesus. How do, we, how do we think that's okay? And, and what I've seen is so many churches divide or people get upset and they leave over what takes place during that one hour that we gather on Sunday morning. Almost every problem we deal with comes down to that one hour on Sunday morning. And it can be over what kind of songs we sing. It, it can be over how the preacher dresses. It can be over, are we going to sit in pews or are we going to sit in chairs? And just things that in that one hour that someone likes it, someone doesn't like it. And churches are fighting and dividing and people are leaving because of that, that one hour that we gather. And here's where I am on that. I don't believe God really cares that much about what we do that one hour that we gather. I think he's more concerned about the six days and 23 hours that we scatter. That's when we're the body of Christ. That's when we make an impact. That's when we take the good news out to our communities, our neighborhoods, and eventually the world. My guess is we know we're supposed to love God and love people. Anyone here not know that we're supposed to love God and love people? So why do we have a hard time doing that? Well, I would suggest it's because we're people. We're not perfect. Let's do a little survey. How many of you are perfect? Let me see your hands. I'm feeling kind of lonely. I'm the only one with my hand up. <laughs> no, we're not perfect, are we? Let, let me just, real quick, I'll try to do this real quick. Let me introduce you to some people who have been in my churches over the years. And I'm going to change their names. But my guess is, uh, you know their cousins. <laughs> I, I, I call the first guy Anonymous Al. Anonymous Al loves to write anonymous letters, and uh, he, you know, he writes letters, but he doesn't sign his name. And when I was a young minister, man, that ate my lunch. 
It just bothered me. I, I can't tell you how many kingdom hours I spent trying to look at that letter. Does it look like they're left-handed or right-handed? This is back before computers, you know, so they were handwritten. Does it sound like a man or a woman? Have I ever heard one, this phrase, you know? And I, I would just spend all kinds of kingdom hours. And I, I took a letter to an elders meeting one time. I said, guys, we got another one. The elder said, let me see that. I gave it to him. He wadded up and threw it away. And he said, that's what we do with anonymous letters here. If they're not going to sign their name, we don't read it. And I'm so thankful for that elder, for the kingdom hours that he saved me the next 37 years. But I did learn, that was kind of interesting, I learned that uh, anonymous letters have been around for a long time. We were talking about Moody last night. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, uh, he, he told a story about, you know, this is a long time ago, he, he was with a group of people, and he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a piece of paper, and he, he remembered someone had given him this piece of paper earlier in the day, but he never had time to read it. So he opened it up, and it only had one word on it. Now, I don't know if I ought to use this word in church or not, but I learned a long time ago, after I almost got fired, um, wondering, and I used it, uh, when in doubt, leave it out. So I'm not going to say the word, I'm just going to give you a clue, because I know you look like sharp people, you'll figure it out. It's another word for donkey. Think you got it? For those of you who aren't going, oh, I'll give you one more clue. If you're thinking jackrabbit, you're only halfway right. And that's, that's the last clue. And that was the word that was on the paper. And he looked at it and he said, now this is a first. I've had plenty of times where people wrote a letter and forgot to sign their name. This guy signed his name and forgot to write the letter. And that's how I feel about Anonymous Al. Tightwad Tanya. Tightwad Tanya says, if I don't get my way, I don't get my money. And there are churches being held hostage all across our land by Tightwad Tanyas. And here's what I learned a long time ago. I hope you know this. Our God is rich. Our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And God doesn't need Tanya's money, and we don't either. And if we give into that... I mean, what a terrible way or, or uh, motive to give anyway. Tight, what tiny, wet blanket Willie. <laughs> he just throws a wet blanket on everything. It won't work. I don't like it. We tried it before. You know, no, and, and no matter what you do, you can be excited. Throws a wet blanket on it. Complaining Carl. Nothing's ever right. Complaining Carl's the kind of guy that when I was in located ministry, I'd be walking down the hallway and I'd see Carl and I just wanted to turn and go the other way because I knew he had a complaint. We, we'd have a weekend where we had a Saturday night and three Sunday morning services. And, and it would be record attendance. We'd have a bunch of baptisms. The spirit was great. And Carl would come up and say, Preacher, I didn't like that one song we did. Thank you for sharing, Carl. FYI, we didn't sing it to you. <laughs> Just... But those were four of the people. Let, let me real quick tell you four more, though, who have been a blessing. I call the first guy Ernie the Encourager. And Ernie's the kind of guy that when you walk in the room, you just feel better. Do you, do you know what Ernie? He, he's not going to be up here. He's not going to be in front normally. He's not going to be preaching, teaching, singing. But when you walk in, he ju you just feel better. Ernie's the kind of guy, I'd go to visit him in the hospital to try to cheer him up, to try to minister to him. I'd be walking to the car, and I'd think, how'd that happen? He ministered to me. He encouraged me. 
Every once in a while, I, I doubt this happens to you, Darren. I doubt it. But, you know, I'd have this sermon. I'd think, this is going to be a pretty good sermon. I'm excited. And about five minutes into it, I'd think, this isn't really as good as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Again, I know it never happens to you, but ten minutes into it, I'm thinking, oh, man, how do I get out of this? And it's just, it's terrible. And, and I go in the back, and I'm shaking hands with people, and, you know, I'm, I got the smile on, and, and most people are really nice. They're not going to come by and say, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Carl will, but, but most people won't. <laughs> and Ernie's the last one to come by, and he shakes my hand, and he's got tears in his eyes. And he says, preacher, how did you know? How did you know? What I needed today, God spoke through you. And I go home, and I know it was a bad sermon. But Ernie reminds me that it's not about me. It's about God. I love Ernie. Call the next lady, Pat the Prayer Warrior, and she's always praying. Just Pat will pray you through times when you have a hard time praying for yourself. Have you ever been there? I have. I, I've been going through one of those dark times. I'm praying. It feels like the person just bouncing off the ceiling. And I get to the other end of that, and life is good again. And I think, how did I make it through that tough time? And it dawns on me, I made it because Pat was praying. Pat prayed me through it. And the church needs a lot of Pat the prayer warriors. Let me tell you about one more. And, and I know that ministers say that we don't have favorites. You need to know we lie. This lady's been my favorite for 40 years. I call her Betty the Baker. <laughs> and Betty the Baker knows the perfect time to come by with a plate of chocolate chip cookies, coconut cream pie, German chocolate cake. Now, this is my second time here at Countryside. I don't know if I'll ever be invited back. Usually it's a moral victory if I get invited back one time. So just in case, though, just in case I'm ever invited back, I'm going to repeat that and you probably ought to take some notes here. Chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> coconut cream pie, German chocolate cake. And I have no idea what it is, but there are some times where a plate of chocolate chip cookies at the right time almost seems spiritual. Here's what I do know. You give me a church filled with Ernie's and Harry's and Pat's and Betty's and we can turn this area upside down for Jesus Christ. Because it's not rocket science. It's about how are we doing it loving God and how are we doing it loving people. Let's go on. Section 4, we would see pictures and hear stories of people who share the gospel message. And this is where I want to tie it in with the, the, the missions. There is nothing that should ever take the place of sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. Nothing. I heard a minister, Ben Merrill, uh, he's in his 90s now. A long time ago, I heard him say that you should never start out to grow a big church. You start out to win people to Jesus. And if you win enough people to Jesus, you'll end up with a big church. But don't get the two mixed up. I love what Paul writes here. He says, all over, this wor all over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing. All over the world. It's not just about here. You need to be a healthy church here. You need to be a faithful church here. But if you are a healthy and faithful church here, you're going to be taking the gospel and helping the gospel get taken all over the world. Let me tell you something that I hope you already know. But this church's fingerprints are all over the world. I, I think about this weekend. 
I don't know how many campers over the years have given their life to Jesus. I don't know how many campers have, have made a commitment to do kingdom work. How many campers from Rock River have, have been ministers, youth ministers, worship ministers, associate ministers, missionaries, serving God. But for everyone that made that decision, your fingerprints are all over every single one. Your fingerprints are all over Mexico as you partner with me and my house outreach. Your fingerprints are on people you've never met and you will never meet until heaven. But because of your partnership there, your fingerprints are all over Mexico. Your fingerprints are all over the people that IDES has helped during times of disaster. People who have no hope. But you have given them hope by partnering with IDES. The Bible is translated into new languages all over the world because of your partnership with Pioneer Bible Translators. Last year, one of the highlights of the weekend for me was when uh, Norm presented the Bible that they had been working on for years. And you walked with them. Your fingerprints were all over that translation. Your fingerprints are all over Puerto Rico as you partner with Caribe Christian Mission with Jane. Your fingerprints are all over the world as you partner with Outreach International, with Dale and Sonia and all the, the ministries that they're involved with. Your fingerprints are all over this county as you partner with the food pantry and help people who are, who are hurting and hungry. When you partner with Lincoln Christian University, your fingerprints are all over every student who attends. And whatever they go out and do, your fingerprints are all over and that's why a weekend like this is so important to, as a reminder. This is who we are, this is why we're here, and this is what we do. It makes a difference. And on behalf of all the, the missionaries and organizations that are here, let me thank you for being that faithful church who is committed to making sure the good news is taken all over the world. Let's look at one more. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you already heard about, the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. The hope, that word hope is so important. Section 5, we would see pictures and hear stories of a church filled with people who cling to a great hope. Sometimes it's hard to have hope, isn't it? Sometimes our tanks get pretty low and we need to have that hope. And there are people all around us who don't have hope. There are people around the world who don't have the hope of a, a meal or the hope of an education or the hope of, uh, of medical care. And that's sad. But there's something sadder than that is they don't have the hope of eternal life in heaven. And we need to cling to that hope. We need to make sure that we don't lose hope. But we need to not only cling to it, we need to offer that hope to people who are hurting. And it could be in Puerto Rico. It, it, it could be in Papua New Guinea. It, it could be in India. Or it could be your neighbor who right now is having a hard time with hope. We need to offer that hope because Jesus is the hope of the world. And we need to hold out that good news. I want to wrap up, and let me just tell you real quick about the uh, first time I went to Africa. I've, I've had the privilege of going to Africa 13 times, and, and the first time, it was in 1995, 
and uh, we flew into Nairobi, Kenya. We stayed there for a couple of days, and we flew into, it was Zaire back then, it, uh, after the Civil War, it's the Democratic Republic of Congo now. Though we were in Congo for about two and a half weeks, and then we flew back to Nairobi, and we stayed in this guest house, and, and there's high crime in Nairobi, and so the guest houses all have walls and gates around them, and, and there's a gatekeeper that will let you in and let you out. And there's this young guy who was a gatekeeper, and every day he would get a taxi for us, and then he'd let the taxi in, we'd get in, he'd open the gate, let the taxi out, when we'd come back from downtown, he'd let us back in, and, and one day I, we got back from downtown, he wasn't at the gate, he, he was up closer to the guest house, and he had a blanket on the sidewalk, and it had souvenirs, uh, wood carvings, jewelry, paintings, things like that, and I already had everything I planned on taking home, but I got talking to him, and he explained it was his uncle's business, but he was working it. And he wanted to know if I had any clothes that I could trade him for souvenirs because he wanted to go on to school. He needed better clothes for school, and clothes were expensive. So I went down to my room, and I got my suitcase, and I got some pants and some shirts and a pair of shoes. And we came up, and, and we did the transaction. He was happy. I was happy. And I, I walked down, and I, I got ready to put them in my suitcase, and I saw some more pants and a couple more shirts. And I knew I was going to go home before I had a closet full of clothes and dressers full of clothes. So I just scooped up everything else, and I took it up to him, and I, I said, I don't want to trade. I, these are a gift. I, I just want you to have this. I want you to be able to go to school. And the, the look on his face, I'll never forget it. You would have thought I gave him $20,000 instead of some used clothes. I, I, I wish I could describe the look on his face. I can't, but I can describe how it made me feel. When I looked at his face, it made me feel like, man, if Delta Airlines would let me get away with it, I would fly home in my boxer shorts tomorrow. You know, I, I would give him the clothes off my back. It felt that good. Well, the next day, we get up, and we load up, and we're going to go to the airport. Taxi was there to pick us up. This young guy wasn't at the gate. And I thought, oh, man, I, I want to see him one more time. But another gatekeeper opened, and we pulled out. We start going down the street, and I looked over, and to my left... Here he comes running down the street as hard as he can. And he's waving his hands. He's going, stop, stop, stop. So I tapped the taxi driver and said, stop. And it's hot. You know, our window's already down. He doesn't even break a step. I mean, he's just running. He goes in through the window, you know. <laughs> and he grabs both of my hands. And he looked at me right in the eyes. And he said, if I don't see you again here, I'll see you in heaven. If I don't see you again here, I'll see you in heaven. Folks, that's what it's all about. That's why we're here. That's what this weekend is all about. It's not about hitting a goal. It's not about the excitement of seeing an amount go up. Those are exciting things. It's not about a good feeling. It's about making a commitment. Not to just give money, but a commitment to helping as many people as possible go to heaven someday. So I, I do not apologize for asking that when it comes time to fill out that commitment card, that you look at what you think you can do and add to it. Maybe some of you need to look at what you're going to write, and instead of adding to it, you need to multiply it.
Because this isn't just about a, a faith promise commitment. It is about helping people get to heaven. That's who we are. That's why we're here. Let's commit ourselves to being a faithful and healthy church. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time that you could remind us, Father, who we are and why we're here. I, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Father, how you use them in so many ways. I thank you that their fingerprints are literally all over the world in the lives and through the lives of people that they love and encourage and support and partner with. And God, I pray that because of the commitments that are about to be made, because of what is given this coming year, that there will be men and women and boys and girls who, who not only have a meal or medicine or clothes or all the things that, that may be provided. Father, I, I thank you for that. But I pray, Father, there will be men and women and boys and girls who will be in heaven with you for eternity. I pray these things in Jesus' name.